Uh, let's read God's word together. Would you please stand? Uh, John 21, verses 1 through 19. This is God's word. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. The grass withers and the flower falls. Please be seated. Would you please join me in prayer for our time together this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God that speaks and that you speak to us through your word and spirit. And so, Lord, we pray that you would speak to your people this morning. Would you feed hungry souls and would you parch the thirst of our souls? Lord, we pray that you would conform us to the image of your Son through the work of your Spirit. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's one night in college where I heard some really loud banging outside. Uh, and so I look outside the window and I notice there's this drunk guy who is going from bike to bike uh, on these bike racks and stomping on the back wheel uh, for no other purpose than to just uh, destroy your bike so that you can no longer ride it. And so immediately I freak out because my bicycle is outside, a uh, brand new bicycle. And so I run outside and sure, sure enough, uh, my back wheel is bent out of shape. And I'm like, I am going to find this guy and make him pay me to fix this uh, bicycle. So I go walking around and I look for him and, and I see him. 
and he's giant. So I decide, I cannot handle this myself. I'm going to go get my friends, and we're going to go and confront him together. So I go upstairs and get my three sweet mates, and uh, say, hey, I really need your help. There's this giant dude stomping on bicycles. I need your help. And so we go out, and we start looking for this guy. And we're going everywhere, being careful, trying to figure out. Uh, but we can't find uh, the guy in the end. Uh, he, he disappeared. But suddenly, we realize we went from four to three. And one guy had gone missing. Uh, and it turns out he got hungry. And he left us and went back to the dorm to eat a snack. And that's where we found him, eating a snack by himself. Uh, and we have uh, never let him forget that. We make fun of him uh, until this day. You know, when friends don't show up for you, it can be disappointing when they leave your side. Uh, in this circumstance, no big deal. We can laugh about it. And I can make fun of him in sermons for the rest of my ministry career. Uh, but when friends leave us, it, it makes an impression on us. When we go through difficult times in our lives and our friends aren't there for us, it leaves an impression on us. If you go through a tough breakup and none of your friends really seem to care and they tell you, hey, just get over it, uh, it can really leave an impression on you. If you experience loss in your family and none of your friends check up on you, something like that can cause a real rift between friends can even be the end of that relationship. A few weeks ago was Easter, where we remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ, where Jesus conquered the grave, where Jesus conquers sin, death, and evil, and gives his people new life. But of course, if you remember, before that happens, his disciples, his most loyal followers, his friends, they all scatter and abandon him. Now, if Jesus decided, I am never going to talk to these disciples ever again, we would understand that. If Jesus decided, I'm going to put a for, you know, help wanted sign out, I want 12 new disciples, uh, you know, version 2.0 disciples, we would get it. Ones that would stick by him in his moments of desperation and need. But that's not what Jesus does. In our passage this morning, we open with a scene where Jesus pursues and finds his disciples. But where do we find the disciples in this scene? Well, we find them lost at sea. That's our first point this morning. The disciples are lost at sea. Now, the disciples are not physically lost at sea as if they are floating in the ocean, but they are lost and they are at sea. Jesus has resurrected from the dead. The tomb is empty He's appeared to Mary Magdalene and he's appeared to the disciples. So what happens next? What difference does the resurrection make to the disciples and their lives? Well, after the crucifixion, the disciples, they all scattered. His friends scattered. But after the resurrection, we find the disciples gathered. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, and now his disciples are gathered once more again. And why are they gathered? Well, it tells us in Mark 14, verses 27 to 28. Jesus says this. Uh, this is after the Last Supper, and they went up to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus tells them this. You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. In other words, when Jesus was crucified, the disciples scattered, the shepherd was killed, and the disciples were haunted by that. 
They scattered in desperation and disappointment. We can understand that. But Jesus said, when I am raised up, I am going to meet you in Galilee. And so that's where the disciples are. They have gathered. They are gathered because Jesus told them to wait for him there. But there is a sense in which they are still lost, even as they wait for Jesus. The resurrection has happened, but they are lost in the sense that they are unclear what they are supposed to do next with their lives. What are we supposed to be doing now? It's cool, right? Jesus appeared to us. What do we do now? What do we do now? Well, in verse 3, Peter says, I'm going fishing. And the other disciples say, all right, we'll go fishing with you. And that sounds better than what we're doing now. Good idea. Let's do it. And so they went out at night and they caught nothing. Now, fishing at night is pretty normal. Uh, you would catch fish at night and then it'd be fresh for the market in the morning. But there is a problem here. If you remember, the disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John were all fishermen who gave it up to follow Jesus Christ. And so by going on the lake and fishing, scholars speculate, were they going back to their original careers? Some scholars even say maybe they've stopped believing. They've gone back fishing. After all, they've gone back to where it all started for them in the Sea of Galilee, and now they're going back to the professions they have been called out to. But I don't think that's the case. I think they are there, as I mentioned before, because Jesus said he would be there. But not knowing what they are supposed to be doing, they go back to what it is that they once did, fishing. Jesus has said that he will make the disciples fishers of men. That is that they will make disciples and they will be used to build God's church. But in this moment, they are just fishers of fish. Have you ever noticed that in the book of Acts, the disciples are never fishing? It's not like a chapter on the fishing habits of the disciples. No, they are building the church. They are out in the world with a sense of mission assurance and confidence, doing miracles in the name of God, preaching his word and seeing people brought in. But the disciples here don't seem to have a sense of mission or know what it is that they are supposed to be doing. They are lost without Jesus in their midst. And all of this is confirmed when they fish all night and they catch nothing. Not a single fish. I was reading a commentary and I started laughing when I read this. It said, remarkably, the disciples never catch a fish in any of the gospels without Jesus' help. These disciples are not particularly good at fishing. It is an image of futility without Christ in our lives. And so here they are all night floating in the Sea of Galilee fishing because they don't know what they're supposed to be doing, catching nothing. They are lost. And they don't know what's next. But then morning comes. Just as morning comes over the tomb where Jesus was laid and he walks out having resurrected, morning dawns on this dark night where the disciples are lost because they are about to meet the resurrected Christ again. It's our second point today. They are sought and found. The disciples are sought and found. Morning comes and there's a man on the shore who calls out to them, children, do you have any fish? And the disciples answer, no. 
And I uh, sometimes wonder what that no was like. Was it sort of like an angry no? Like, obviously, we don't have any fish. Like, was this guy like trolling us on the shores? Like, we don't have fish, right? Is he rubbing it in? They don't know it's Jesus. We don't know why they don't know. Maybe Jesus is too far away. Maybe there's fog. Maybe they were kept from knowing that it was Jesus. We don't know why. And so the man calls out, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some fish. And so they, of course, cast the net on the right side of the boat and their nets begin to fill with 153 large, juicy fish. So much so that they were not able to haul in their catch. Now, John is the first one to recognize that this is Jesus. And he tells Peter, this is Jesus. And Peter puts on his clothes and jumps into the water to swim to Jesus. If you remember, this is very similar to the way Peter was called to ministry, to be a disciple of Jesus in Luke 5. Peter was once again out fishing, catching nothing. They're not the best fisher in the world. And he couldn't catch anything once again. And so Jesus calls out to him, put your nets out deeper and you'll catch something. And so Peter does, and he finally catches fish, so much so that the nets begin to burst. So Peter knows this is Jesus, brought back to the moment of his calling, and he jumps out and swims to him. And the disciples dock the boat and, and haul the fish. And what do we see? Jesus cooked breakfast for the disciples and laid out bread for them. He cooked fish. Jesus is so funny, right? Like these disciples all night couldn't catch fish. And he's like, here's some fish, guys. Like you stink at it, but I'm, all, I'm good at it. I got fish for you. Come eat. The disciples were lost, but now they were found again. Jesus sought after them and found them again. You know that Jesus spends time doing this after the resurrection tells us so much about the heart and priority of Jesus. The disciples abandoned him at the cross. What would you do if your friends abandoned you at your moment of need? I think some of us would just say, I'm just going to stop talking to them. Stop being their friend. Some of you would seek revenge. Maybe fast revenge, or maybe if you're the more conniving type, you really plot out some long stretched out revenge. But what does Jesus do? He affectionately calls them children. He says, come have breakfast with me. Seven of the disciples are gathered here. They are listed in verse two. Notice the first two listed are Peter and Thomas, which is significant. Thomas is the Christ doubter. If you remember, Jesus appeared to the disciples after the resurrection and Thomas was not with those disciples. And so the other disciples go to Thomas and they say, hey, Thomas, we saw Jesus. He's alive. We saw him. And Thomas is like, no, 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 no you didn't. I'm not going to believe that until I can put my hands on his wounds and his hands and his feet. I don't believe you. Peter is the Christ denier. He's the one who denies Jesus three times on three separate occasions. Now, the first of these occasions is recorded in John 18. Not time to read it today, but read that on your own. It's a great passage. Peter follows Jesus after he's arrested with another disciple that isn't named. But oftentimes in the book of John, if a disciple isn't named, it's usually John. All right. So it's John and Peter, probably. 
So Peter and John are following Jesus after he's arrested. John goes in with uh, Jesus as he's about to be questioned by the high priest. And Peter stays outside in the courtyard. And you remember this story? A servant girl approaches Peter and asks him, are you one of this man's disciples? That is, are, are you a disciple of Jesus? Aren't you one of his followers? Like, I've seen you around town walking with this guy. Like, you're one of his followers, aren't you? And with Jesus on the other side, Peter says, I am not. Peter will go on to deny Jesus two more times after this. But in John 18, where Peter denies Jesus for the first time, it says that the servants and officers made a charcoal fire to keep warm. It was cold, and so the servants and the soldiers huddled around this charcoal fire to keep warm. And Peter, in his betrayal of Jesus Christ, at the end of this scene, is standing by the charcoal fire with these servants and soldiers trying to blend in, having denied his Lord. So what does Jesus do on this morning? Verse 9 through 12. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Jesus invites these wayward disciples to dine with him, come and have breakfast. But even more remarkably to me, where does he meet Peter? But by a charcoal fire. Don't you see what Jesus is doing here? Jesus is meeting Peter in his most painful, shameful moment. Peter betrayed Jesus by a charcoal fire and Jesus is bringing him back to that moment and he's bringing him back to that moment to bring Peter to repentance. Jesus is meeting him in his moment of failure and bringing Peter to repentance so that he can rewrite Peter's life. You know, Peter was this like overly confident guy. He thought he was a man of integrity and courage. But when he was tested, he failed. He was a coward when the heat was turned up. He tried to save himself. That's why after breakfast, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me more than these? See, Jesus is asking Peter, do you love me more than these other disciples? And in typical Peter fashion, what does he say? You know that I love you. Like by implication, you know I, that I love you more than these guys. And it's like, dude, you just denied Jesus three times. Like how can you still say stuff like that? Jesus, by bringing Peter to this charcoal fire, by asking him if he loved him three times, is bringing Peter back to his most shameful failures in order to bring him to repentance. You see, this Jesus that we worship is not a Jesus who abandons his friends, though they have abandoned him. He is not a Christ who seeks revenge on his friends who have betrayed him. Jesus is the one who invites the broken, the cowardly, the shameful sinners to dine with him. He reminds Peter of the worst moment of his life. A moment of shame, a moment of hurt, a moment of betrayal. So that in this moment, he might transform him. 
Friends, all of us, all of us have had moments in our lives that we are not proud of. That if you were transported back to those moments in your mind, you would feel deep guilt and shame immediately. There are moments of conflict you know you have had that are vivid in your minds. If you were to be, you know, just think about it, you would be transported back to that conflict all over again. If you remember the exact things that you said, the exact way that you said it, and how it deeply wounded the person you said it to, you can still see the hurt in their face. There are mistakes that we have made in our lives that we regret. Addiction, theft, abuse, adultery, deception. Perhaps there are relationships you aren't proud of. A strained relationship with a spouse or a child, and you know you've made mistakes. You know that the relationship is the way it is because of things you have done. And for people to bring up that relationship would bring you to guilt and shame. And certainly how many of us can say that we follow Jesus with absolute integrity and courage? Haven't you ever been afraid to tell someone you are a follower of Christ? When your coworkers and classmates ask you on Monday, what did you do this weekend? Don't you sometimes just say, oh, nothing, just relaxed. When you went to church, like here you are. You know, I have to confess, one of the questions that I dread the most as a pastor is when people ask me, what do you do for work? And what I want to say is I work for the largest nonprofit in the world, right? Because you know that as soon as you tell them you are a pastor, it is a conversation ender. There's a palpable, awkward silence that you can cut through with a knife. We have not been friends to Jesus the way that he has been a friend to us. We can't look down on Peter. We really aren't too different. All of us have moments where we have buried those moments because to live them over and over again would only stir up emotions of guilt and shame. We want to just forget them and move on. But what does Jesus want you to do, this resurrected Christ? Jesus brings you back to these moments and he invites you to feast with him. He brings you back to these moments not to heap guilt and shame on you, but to bring you to repentance. And in that repentance, he meets you to allow you to feast on his grace, love, and mercy. You see, Jesus is the one who will go after one lost sheep. And on this day, he has found seven of them. Seven of them that were scattered, lost, and failed in so many ways. He has found them and invites them to dine with him. Because you know what? Jesus has always done that. To the woman by the well who has had many husbands, he invites her to drink of living waters. Jesus dined with sinners, with tax collectors, people who betrayed their own people for financial gain. He dined with prostitutes. And in this moment, he is inviting these disciples to eat with him. These are disciples who couldn't even pray with him. Some of them were hot-headed and had tempers. All of them were unbelievably obtuse and couldn't understand his teachings. All of them fled when he needed them the most. But Jesus says, come, have breakfast. 
with me. See, Jesus invites the sinner, the lost, the broken, me and you, to eat with him. The wrong you have done in your life, your sin, is why the cross was necessary. And our temptation, our, our fall and broken human nature is to want to look away, bury it, ignore it. And Jesus says, no, bring it to me in repentance. And what you will find is Jesus on the shores inviting you to feast with him. Jesus in the resurrection says that sin is not the final word on your life. Your failure is not the final word on your life. Our sources of deepest shame and guilt are not the final word on our lives. Jesus in the resurrection conquers sin. He defeats evil and death. And in so doing, he meets you in those worst moments so that you might know him more deeply. You see, Peter's always going to remember that first charcoal fire where he denied the Lord. For some reasons, in our moments of shame, we remember weird details, right? Remember weird details. I think Peter will remember the smell of the smoke from that fire, the heat that he felt. He will remember his cowardice as he stood there trying to blend in. He will remember that first charcoal fire because it was the beginning of denying Jesus not once, but twice, but three times. But now there is a second charcoal fire where he eats with the Lord, who invites him in, him in, who brings him to the most shameful and painful moment of his life that he might be brought to repentance. And now he will remember that charcoal fire differently. Because you know, a confrontation with the resurrected Christ is transformative. At this fire, Peter is transformed by the immeasurable grace of Jesus Christ. Well, how does Peter's life turn out? Short last point, found to be sent. Found to be sent. When Jesus asks Peter, do you love me more than these other disciples? Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. He does that three times. See, I believe Peter. I believe Peter loves Jesus. That's why he says, you know what's in my heart. I mean, you're like real gutsy to not really believe what you're saying and then tell Jesus to look into your heart. So I, I believe that Peter loves Jesus. But earnestness is not enough. After all, Peter is the one that said, even if everyone falls away from you, Lord, I won't do it. That's what Peter said. Peter has always been the one who spoke with courage. He's the one who said to Jesus that he would lay down his life for Jesus. It was Peter who slashed Malchus with the sword when Jesus was arrested. But for all his emotional courage, he would deny Jesus nonetheless. Earnestness was not enough. Zeal is not enough. You see, dependent on himself... Peter is just a dude that sits on a boat unable to catch anything in the middle of the night. But Jesus brings him to his place of failure to show him grace, to show him forgiveness, but also to recommission him. Because that's what Peter needed. He needed to be forgiven, but he also needed to be reinstated to leadership. He needed both. 
And so having forgiven Peter by inviting him to dine with him, Peter is now also restored back into a position of leadership in the church. And he is told to take care of God's sheep. In other words, if you love me, Peter, then recognize that you are called to love for love and care for and tend to my people. Peter is called to feed God's people by teaching and preaching the word of God and to be attentive to their spiritual needs. Peter's been forgiven by Jesus for his denials. And now by the grace of God, he's been recommissioned into God's mission. But that's not all. You could preach a whole sermon just on that. That's not all. What I want to focus on is in verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. See, Jesus is saying, when you were young, you could do whatever you wanted, Peter. But when you grow old, you're going to stretch out your hands and someone else is going to carry you. It's like, what does that mean? Well, to stretch out your hands was an idiom for the crucifixion. Jesus is saying this is the death that Peter would die. He will walk in the footsteps of his Lord and Savior quite literally. And what early church father Tertullian writes about the apostle Peter was that he was in fact crucified. And he asked to be crucified upside down because he was not worthy to be crucified the way Jesus was crucified. In other words, Peter became a person of conviction and courage unto death. Peter at the first charcoal fire had been speaking with bravado. It was false courage. But out of his second charcoal fire, having met with Jesus, having repented and gone to him in weakness, Peter emerges with real courage, conviction, even unto death. Peter became the man that he thought he was. But it came by acknowledging his weaknesses. It came through repentance. It came by being broken. Peter became who he needed to be by coming face to face with this resurrected Jesus. Friends, none of us live up to the ideals of God. We don't even live up to our own ideals. That's why January is so busy in the gym. But February, finally, I get my machines back. What are you called to be? I am called to be a husband, father, pastor, a disciple of Jesus, callings that I fall short of each and every day. So I can choose. Let me just bury my failures. Let me talk up myself. I love my kids. I'm the greatest father ever. Go on social media, post wonderful moments, tender moments with my kids. Make sure everyone knows what a great father I am. Let me take pictures of my devos by coffee so that everyone knows how spiritual and how much I love Jesus. It doesn't matter how much self-confidence or earnestness that we show, it is not enough. How will you live out the life that God calls you to live? Passion, earnestness, good intentions are not enough. You need the resurrected Christ. And you do not go to the resurrected Christ declaring your strength. You do not go to the resurrected Christ in confidence. You go to him in weakness and repentance. Yes, in fact, 
those very areas of your life that are buried because you are ashamed. We need his grace. We may not die on a literal cross, but like Peter, like all followers of Jesus, we are called to follow in the footsteps of Christ, to daily die to ourselves and live unto Christ. We are called to cling to Christ in our weaknesses. We are called to cling to Christ in our ever-increasing awareness of our sinfulness. And when we go to Jesus, what you find is not condemnation, not guilt, not shame, but a feast. A feast of love and grace of Jesus Christ. The disciples were lost at sea, unsure of their purpose until they encountered the resurrected Christ. Peter was lost. At the first charcoal fire, he betrayed his Lord. That is why Jesus had to die for sinners. But at the second charcoal fire, Peter's heart was transformed with renewed purpose. And that is why Jesus resurrected, so that you might have that same thing in your life. Jesus Christ has risen, friends. And the same thing offered to Peter is offered to you. Jesus knows all that is in your heart. And yet what we choose to do with the junk in our hearts is to hide in the junk drawer. But Jesus invites you to open your heart to him, to bring your sin, what is most shameful, what hurts the most to be exposed to him. And he says, come have breakfast with me by a fire so that you might know his grace and his mercy, that you might know his life. Man, with this... You know, in Luke 5, when Jesus called out to Peter when he was fishing, when Peter was being called to ministry, and Peter's net burst from all the fish he caught, Peter immediately says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. In other words, get away from me. I realize I am a sinner. But Peter now, having encountered the resurrected Christ, when he sees his nets bursting with fish, jumps into the water and swims toward his Christ. More of Jesus is what I need. This morning, won't you run towards Jesus Christ and join him by that fire so that you might feast on his grace? Let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love sinners, that we do not deserve your grace and mercy, that what we are deserving of is your displeasure and wrath. And yet you send your son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Lord, help us to see the sin in our lives, those things that bring us shame and guilt if we looked at them. Would we bring them to you? Because we know that what you have prepared for us is a feast of your grace and mercy. Bring your people to repentance. Not once but daily. Help us to know and taste the sweetness of your grace each and every morning, for your mercies are new every morning. Lord, I pray for my friends here at Cornerstone. Would you send them out into this world, ready to follow in the footsteps of Christ, to make your gospel and your love known? And would you draw many to yourself? Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.